Amen. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. You can be seated. You turn your Bible to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. While you're turning there, let me just say this. Um, that uh, I've had the incredible privilege to being mentored by a rabbi for the last eight years, and it's ongoing. And so um, and we put a lot of what we know back there on that table. We have a whole table back there full of CDs, and we have eight different DVDs now. So if you want videos instead of things to play in your car, um, you can check those out back there. Um, and, and everything back there, people, people ask me sometimes, they say, um, what's the good ones? which is kind of insulting as if I'd put bad ones out there. Um, or my favorite is they'll pick up one. Like I, I have one back there called Anger, um, and it's about anger. And um, they'll pick it up and they'll look at it and open it and they'll go, what's this one about? It's, it's funny. So, um, so anyway, they, but they'll, or they'll say, what's the Hebrew ones? Well, all of our teachings come from a Hebrew perspective because of my mentoring with the rabbi. So you can um, feel free to come back there. And let me tell you what that's for. I live completely by faith. And um, I'll live completely, whatever comes in in that love offering tonight, that's, that's what I get for the week. And I'll pay my, my plane ticket out of that. I'll pay to make it and ship all that stuff and everything. And then whatever's left, that's what I have to pay my mortgage and support uh, my home. And so um, that, that's, that's the way we live. And the primary way we support ourselves is the love offering. And in a church this size, I know that the love offering will be okay. And so what we do with the profit from the resource table is we use it to go to places that can't afford it. And specifically what we're going to use the profit from it today for is to help us do our ministry in Africa. We have an HIV AIDS clinic and uh, a couple orphanages and things like that. So here's what I'm asking you to do is to come by, at least say hello and take a look and allow me to put something into your life that will revolutionize the way you look at God. And, and, and what you're doing back is you're putting something in our hands that's going to help me feed people that can't feed yourself. So here's all I'm asking is before you leave here today and put food in your own belly, g- give me something that's going to let me put food in the belly of someone that doesn't have food. And I'm going to give you something that will feed your soul. Okay? So um, the, uh, let me just tell you about a couple of them. If you can only afford one thing, I would recommend this one. And um, we're, our, our stockpile is running low on this one, so I would grab it if, uh, if, if you want it. This is my brand new series on the Ten Commandments from a rabbi's perspective. It's ten CDs in there, and it totally changed my life. A couple of other ones i just tell you about real quick. There's one back there called Reality TV, and we've just renamed this, um, and we call it Living Out of the Real You. It's a six-disc series on the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, the first three talks about the role of the Holy Spirit to convince you of who you really are. And then the last three shows how that works out in somebody's life. And we picked the life of Moses. So it was one of our best sellers. Uh, I haven't preached on it in a while, so, so people sometimes forget about it. But that's back there, and that will change your life. Also, if you were here three years ago when I came, um, I don't know if you remember a message I did called The Yoke of the Rabbi. Um, and, um, and so the yoke of the rabbi has uh, four follow-up messages to it, and it's in something called connecting to kingdom power. And, and what it talks about is what it means to follow a rabbi and what it means to be a disciple, because we believe in a rabbi named Jesus and what, how that connects us to power. And so there's four CDs in there. I promise you it'll change your life. But more than that, it is going to help me feed somebody who can't feed themselves. So uh, kind of check that out. All right, Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. Verse 12, Exodus 20, verse 12, says this, Honor your father and your mother, so that your days will be long in the land that the Lord your God gives you. 
Now, before we get into this, I, I want to try to, to preach something today that changed my life. And I want to try to help some people with this very difficult topic at times. Um, some of us would find this easy. Some of us would find this hard. But I, I hope that before the end of the day, that, that we've, wherever you are on that spectrum, we, we've helped you. And part of helping you with this is, is understanding the full context of the Ten Commandments. How many of you were here Wednesday and Thursday night? All right, just don't be a shy about it. Okay, good. So, so for those of you who are here Wednesday and Thursday night, you understand that there's a bigger context here. There's a bigger story than what it appears. This is way bigger than a guy going up a mountain and coming down with two tablets of stone. This is about a, a group of people who've been slaves for 430 years. All they knew was slavery for 430 years. Get up, make bricks, get beaten, whatever. There was no dignity. The, the job of every slave driver is to take your dignity away. Same thing's true today. Whatever dri- You should be able to find yourself in this story pretty easily. Something drives your life other than God. It's a slave driver for you. And the job of the slave driver is to take your dignity away. If you're here today, you're a man, for instance, and let's say you struggle with lust. And let's say you have a hard time getting away from the computer and, and, and doing all the things associated with that. There's times in that slave driver where you think you'll die without it. But, but the truth of it is, is whenever it's over, when you lay your head down at night, you feel worse than you did before because the job of the slave driver is to remove your basic dignity. The, the, the job, if your slave driver's anger and you just, you just can't seem to not blow up, you feel like, I'll die if I don't blow up. But when you actually blow up, when you go to bed at night, you feel worse than ever before. The job of every slave driver is to take your dignity away. That's the job of Egypt. Egypt, they, they, if they wanted to kill you, they killed you. If they wanted to steal something from you, they stole it. If they wanted your wife, they raped her. It didn't matter. It, it was Egypt and Israel. The Israelites were, were less than human. So God's trying to take a group of people who've been taught they were less than human for 430 years, and he's trying to teach them how to be human again. And in teaching them how to be human again, he's trying to create a culture that the whole world's going to want in on. And and, and the first word of the Ten Commandments, the first word that doesn't get translated, this is how the Ten Commandments starts in English. And the Lord spoke all these words and said this, I am the Lord your God. That's how it starts. I am the Lord your God. In in the Hebrew language, it's three words, Anoki, Jehovah, Elohim. I am the Lord your God. You could say I am the Lord your God by saying Jehovah Elohim. But they put this word in there, Anoki. A-N-O-C-H-Y. Anoki. And if you were here during the week, you understand that when you break that thing down by its very letters, the word Anoki means this. Your authority is going to multiply inside the hedge of praise and submission. So the first word of the Ten Commandments is grace. It's, it's, it's I want to make you bigger. I want to restore your worth. I want to take you out from under the yoke of a slave driver that's taking your worth away, and I want to restore your worth. And in that, I want to create a culture that the whole world's going to want in on. It's amazing, the grace of God. I learned something just today about the grace of God. I, I, this, is, um, this is a dollar coin, and I, I found it in the parking lot. And so likely, uh, that dollar coin uh, probably overnight had been driven on, stepped on, Whatever was on the bottom of people's shoes was on it. Maybe some cat or dog come by and use the toilet on it. Nah, it's okay. Maybe, uh, there's no telling telling what that dollar coin went through. How long it was laying there unnoticed. There's no telling how long that dollar coin just needed someone to pick it up. There's no telling uh, what sort of rough thing has happened. There's no telling what kind of hot or cold. There's no telling. 
There's no telling about it. And here's what hit me. No matter what that dollar coin has been through, as I hold it in my hand right now, what's it worth? It's still worth a dollar. If, if you found this in a pile of cow poop, it would still be worth a dollar. If you found it in a toilet and you needed it so bad you dug it out of it, it would still be worth the same as if you went to the bank and asked for the newest one made. That actually it were its worth is not determined by what it went through. Its worth is determined by what it is. And that is what God is trying to do. God is trying to get a group of people to understand that your worth is bigger than bricks. Your, your worth is bigger than anything you do. And, and actually, part of you living a worthy life is treating other people like they're worthy. So we're not going to murder. We're not going to steal. We're going to take a day off. We're going to honor the basic dignity that's in the life of every person. We're going to honor the human, we're going to honor the human condition. We're going to honor the fact basically what God is saying is this, is, is through no act of your own, I chose you to show my love to you in order to show the whole world that I'm a loving God. Welcome to being human again. Welcome to being human again. And it's in that context that we read this scripture. Honor your father and your mother. Now in a room this size, there's certain ones of us that would feel nauseated about that. As soon as we read that, there's this nausea feeling that comes over us. Why? Because our parents weren't honorable. There's certain ones of us that our parents were good people. And whether we're good, whether our parents were good people, or whether they were not so good people, the command is the same. Honor your father and your mother. And the obvious question exists. How do I honor someone who wasn't honorable? How do I do that? And, and I hope to give you some things today that, that will help you with what honor means and how you can continue to honor your parents even if they're not honorable people. In a room this size, there's people, and nobody's parents are perfect. My parents were good parents. My parents were great parents, actually. My dad is, is up every single morning at 4.30 in the morning praying for me. For as long as I can remember. Now, when I was a kid, he got up about 5.45. Then when I was a later kid, he got up about 5.30. And then by the time I was a teenager, he was getting up at 5. And now he gets up at 4.30. And the other day, he said something like 4.15 comes early in the morning. And I thought, Dad, if you keep getting up early, by the time you're 80, you're going to eat breakfast the night before. <laughs> He's up every morning praying for me. It's an honorable thing. But Dad wasn't perfect. Dad was a Vietnam vet that enjoyed scaring people. He thought it was hilarious to scare us. Like one of the things he did, when they, they were trying to teach me not to fall asleep after they wake me up. And so I'm not a morning person. So I, what they do, mom would wake me up and shake me and sit me on the side of the bed. And I'd sit on the side of the bed and I'd get comfortable and fall back asleep. So dad was trying to teach me not to do that. So one day, whatever they were doing wasn't working. So dad decided, I'm going to teach him not to do that. So um, he didn't tell mom about this because mom wouldn't have allowed it. Mom just figured he was praying somewhere. So at, at whenever he did, he got up under my bed. And so mom shook me awake and sat me up on the bed. And I'm sitting there and he waited for me just to get relaxed. And he reached out and grabbed my feet. <laughs> that was dad. $2,000 in counseling later, here I am. <laughs> he loved to scare me. He, one day he put, he put himself in my closet. And my closet opened like this. And kids believe that boogeymen live in the closet anyway. And dad opened my closet and he put himself in there in a crucifix. So I get up, it's like 6.15 in the morning. I'm like nine. I walk over to the, to, the, to the closet to choose my clothes for the day. I open the closet and there's my dad. <laughs> that was dad. He loved to scare us. Loved to scare us. 
So there, well, my dad wasn't perfect. My dad was a good man. Mom was a good woman. She wasn't perfect either. You know, mom did. Well, you don't tell on mom. You don't ever tell on mom. Listen, if you're here today, don't ever tell stories on your mom. It's not right. She gave you birth. So kind of keep her stuff secret. Mom's perfect. All right. Mom's good. Mom's good. So, so, what, so my parents were great. So when I see honor your father and mother, I think, okay, that's fair enough. But I know that there's people in this room who've been violated by their dad. I know there's people in this room whose mother left them to drink alcohol. They chose alcohol over a life with you. And the pain and the brokenness and, and the empty spots that that left in your soul, to read something like honor your father and your mother, it, it makes you nauseous. It makes you nauseous. And I think central to dealing with this is this question. Is God's way the best way or not? Or let me ask it this way. If you could go to heaven without Jesus, would you still follow him? If heaven and hell isn't the issue, is Jesus still worth following? Hopefully the answer is yes. Hopefully you don't follow Jesus simply because he let you into heaven. Hopefully you follow Jesus because you really believe that his way is the best way to live. Hopefully you follow Jesus, not because it's a fire escape. Hopefully you follow Jesus because you really believe that the best way to receive is to be a giver. The best way to live is to forgive people who hurt you. Hopefully we really believe that. And the Ten Commandments is no different. You look at the Ten Commandments, most of them are easy to buy into. Don't have any other gods. All right. Check. Don't, don't have idols in your house. Check. Um, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Um, don't, um, don't use God's name in vain. Check. Don't kill people. Right? That's a pretty good plan. Don't, don't steal. All right? That, sound, that sounds right. Don't commit adultery. Well, all right. That's, that sounds okay. Um, don't lie. Well, all right. But when it comes to honor your father and your mother, somehow we make that conditional as if God didn't know your story. And God didn't know my story. What we have to believe is that God's way and God's plan is the best regardless. So with that being the case, then we have to answer the question, where did we miss it? Well, I think we missed it in just a basic definition of terms. Let me give you three things that honor is not. Three things that honor is not that sometimes we confuse as being honorable. The first thing that honor is not, honor is not ignoring wrong things. I have a counseling background, so I've had people in my office, and and they can't come to admit that the way they grew up was dysfunctional. They can't say, this was destructive. They can't say that. And the reason they can't say it is somewhere deep down inside of them, they really believe if they admit that, that somehow they're dishonoring their parents. Honor Honor is not saying that something, saying, ignoring it like it didn't happen. Honor's not that. That's not actually the honorable thing at some point is to actually sit back and admit this was wrong. This was wrong. Honor is not ignoring wrongs. Honor is not, number two, it is not saying that wrong things are right. Because the very next step is this, is once I ignore wrongs, then the next thing I think, I start thinking that what is actually wrong is actually right. That the problem with calling wrong things right is we run a huge risk And the huge risk is this, to create a new normal. We create a new normal so that our family is running around thinking we are normal and everyone else is weird. And that's crazy. If once whatever defines our normals define our life. Think about TV. Think about how TV has changed. Uh, One of the the big reasons that the divorce rate has went from 11% to 57% since 1967 is the feminist movement. 
The feminist movement took over Hollywood in 1967. And, and they were good-hearted people, I'm sure. And, and, and what they were trying to do was probably try to help people. But this was their basic belief, that women are more evolved than men. Women are therefore more complex, they're more evolved, and so men need to grow up and be like women. All right? And so here's what they said, that women uh, receive love by love, and men receive love by respect, because they're Neanderthals. But if they were actually more evolved, they would actually learn to receive love by love. And if everybody is receiving love by love, then that will help everybody get along better, because we're all talking the same language. That was their thought. They were dead wrong. God designed men to receive love by respect, not anybody else. God designed women to receive love by love. The command in the Bible is for husbands to love their wives, but the command in the Bible is for wives to respect their husbands. God does not have to command women to love their husbands because women love naturally. God does not have to command men to respect their wives because women, men respect naturally. God has to command us to do the things that don't come natural. And so they took over the TV, and they did exactly what Hitler did to Germany. Hitler took over Germany by propaganda, by propaganda. And they changed the characters on TV. Here were the characters. Think about the TV shows in the 50s and 60s. Father Knows Best, Ozzy and Harriet, Leave it to Beaver. And in all of those family comedies, all of the comedy surrounded the teenager in the home or the kid in the home. And at the end of the 22-minute show, the genius father comes in and saves the day. That's how it was. They changed that in 1967. 1967, they wanted men to change, so they started making men look retarded on TV. And all of a sudden, the main characters, the, the main characters on TV was Archie Bunker. It was Homer Simpson. It, it, was, it, it was the guy from the King of the Hill, Hank. You know that guy, right? If you weren't my son, I'd think I'd hug you. That guy. It, it, Al Bundy from Married with Children. Uh, the, uh, the guy from King of Queens, Kevin James from King of Queens. Uh, um, th think, about, think about these guys, that, um, John Goodman from Roseanne. Think about how they started portraying the American family. And they portrayed it as normal. The, the best one is Everybody Loves Raymond. It's one of the greatest shows on TV. It's hilarious. But in Everybody Loves Raymond, it embodies the psychopathology of what it means to create a new normal. And Everybody Loves Raymond, Deborah Barone treats him like he's an idiot. She actually calls him idiot. She calls him stupid. She tells him he doesn't measure up. And she does it in front of everybody. And, and she withholds sex from him. She, she says, you're not, you're not getting any from me unless you do exactly what I say. So, so she calls him an idiot and hold, withholds his basic need for respect. And then she withholds his number one physical need unless he does exactly what she says. So Raymond gravitates himself across the street to the only woman in his life who respects him. And that's his mother. And so you have this huge psychopathology going on. It makes for hilarious television, but it makes for a horrible life. A horrible life. It, they, they, so it became the new normal. And we run the risk of, of creating a new normal when we don't honor. When, when, we, when we think that honoring is somehow turning a blind eye and saying, okay, that's okay. That, that's okay. I, I was at a friend's house once and, for Christmas time, and, and, and the whole family's sitting there. And, and the mother, uh, the, the matriarch of the family, you've got grandchildren and children. This person would have been in her 60s probably, late 50s. And she didn't like the gift that the father gave her. So the father gave the mother a gift she didn't like. And she started screaming obscenities. I'm talking about she used the F word about 25 times. 
And then he started using it back. And they started calling each other names. And then everybody started yelling. And I wanted to find somewhere to hide. But after all the yelling was done in two or three minutes, everybody laughed, slapped five, and went on. And I went, what just happened here? They said, oh, that's just how we are. That's just how we are. If you want to know if your family has created a new normal, ask yourself this question. Do I use the excuse, that's just how we are? Because you know we never say that. We never say that about good things. You know, I'm just happy, that's just how I am. You know what, I'm just generous, that's just how I am. I'm just kind, that's just who I am. Take me or leave me. No, we use those things about problems like anger and resentment and rage and very dysfunctional things. We use, that's just how I am, take me or leave me. Of course, most people will leave you because you've created a new normal. Honor is not creating a new normal. Honor is not ignoring the wrong. Honor is not saying what was wrong is actually right. Honor, number three, is not having no boundaries. That one of the Hebraic definitions of hell is to live in a boundaryless place. To live in a boundaryless place. In other words, if you're living in a situation where, where, where someone can treat you any way they want and you have no recourse, that's called hell. That's called hell. That, that actually the honorable thing is to have boundaries. Sometimes the honorable thing is to say, Dad, I love you and I can be with you in this situation but I can't be with you in this situation. In this situation, I love to be with you. But in this situation where there's going to be whiskey involved, you can't have just one dad. You know you can't, and it embarrasses me. When you get drunk, it embarrasses me. So I'm drawing a boundary. I'll be with you here, but I can't be with you here. And it's not that I don't love you. It's that I do. That's honor. Honor is not ignoring the wrong. Honor is not saying what was wrong is right, and honor is not living boundlessly. Let me give you a definition of what honor is. In, he, in Hebrew culture, honor has more to do with what we pass on to the next generation than how we respond to the previous one. Let me say that again. Honor has more to do with what we pass on to the next generation than how we respond to the previous one. To go back to my dad and say, I honor you, dad, that's one thing. But the heavier thing is actually what I'm taking away and perpetuating to my children and my children's children and my children's children's children. That actually the honorable part in terms of me and my dad has to do with what I'm passing on. So that when my dad is dead and gone one day, his great-grandchildren are reflecting a heritage of godliness. Let, let, me, let me prove it to you. I'm going to talk about your pastor because he's not here. And I would just say this. He's one of the top five pastors in the world that I know. You ought to stay behind him. He's one of the great guys I've ever met in the world. And let me tell you this. Let me tell you what I don't know about Mike. Let me tell you what I do know. I do know he's kind. I do know he's one of the top five pastors in the world that I personally know. But let me tell you what I don't know. I don't know what his dad was like. I have no idea. His dad could have been a pastor. His dad's dad could have been a pastor. His dad's dad's dad could have been a pastor. Mike Connell could be a fourth generation pastor. I do not know. Mike Connell's dad could have been an abusive, drunk horrible person who spent half of his life in jail in and out and come home and beat him up. He could have been unbelievably horrible. I don't know. I've never met the man. I've never had a conversation with Mike about it, but it's irrelevant. Let me tell you why. The decision Mike Connell has made for his life to live a life of godliness makes me assume that his father was godly. 
I just naturally assume Mike comes from a godly line. And he might. And he might. But if Mike Connell is the first generation of people who decided, I'm going to live godly, then it makes other people assume his whole line is godly. So that now all of his children live godly lives. And then their children will live godly lives. And by the time there's four generations down, no one will remember the ungodliness that was before. And Mike would be the hero of the whole family. That, that you want to honor your dad? You want to honor your mom? You say, well, they're horrible people. Still, you want to honor them? You make a decision today to, to change the cycle of ungodliness in your family and start a cycle of godliness. And in four generations from now, no one will remember the ungodliness. They'll only remember the godliness. And you, in fact, will be the hero of your entire family line. That honor has more to do with what you do out there than what you do towards them. It's the same thing in here. Dave Connell's a great pastor. I travel the world. Listen, I'm not an expert in many things, but I am an expert in pastors. And Dave Connell's a great pastor. And you ought to tell him that every now and then. But let me tell you something. To tell him that he's a great pastor, I appreciate you, that is honorable. But that's light. You know what he would rather? He would, he'd rather you tell him. But what, even bigger than that, he'd rather you respect the name of Bay City out there. He'd rather you reflect Christ-likeness out there. He'd rather hear you're a good father to your children out there. He'd rather hear you're a good wife to your husband out there. I mean, to come in here and act like you're a good wife, that's baloney. To go out there and actually live it, totally authentic. To come in here and act like you have integrity in your business dealings, baloney. Anybody can do that for two hours. It's, when you, it's what we hear from out there. It's when you go out there and you're reflecting the name of Christ and you're reflecting the name of Bay City and you're reflecting the fact that he's one of the pastors here and everything reflects that. To honor him is to honor him out there, not in here. To honor him is to honor him at lunch today, not in here. That, 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 that's the small thing. The big thing is what we do away from Pastor Dave. It's what we do away from him, not what we do to him. God, same way. Is it honorable to God to come up here and jump around and raise our hands and sing at the top of our voice? Is that honorable? Of course it is, but only in small part. What really honors God is that that does something in your heart that changes the way you act out there. That that actually does something in your heart that makes you notice people who aren't eating. And you make sure that you understand it's your responsibility to feed them. You notice naked people and you give them clothes. You notice sick people and you do ministry for them. You go to prisons and help people. That, 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 that to raise your hands in here and jump around, that's only a small part of it. What good does it do you to raise your hand and sing at the top of your voice if you're only going to go home and be mean? That, that honoring God has more to do with what you do at home and what you do on the street and what you do for the poor person and what you do for the naked person and what you do for those people. That honoring God has more to do with that than this. This ought to be an outflow of that, not the other way around. God has to um, address this in Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1, the prophet says, I, God's talking to the prophet. And he says, I'm sick of your church services. I'm sick of your festivals. I'm sick of your sacrifices. I'm sick of, I'm sick of your music. I'm sick of your traditions. I'm sick of all those things. And you know what was true of every one of the things? God thought it up. So God essentially says, I'm sick of all the ideas I gave you. Of how to worship me. And here's why. Because you come into my house and you worship me with all the proper things. But you go out there and you leave a hungry person to die instead of feeding them. In other words, it hasn't translated into generosity in your heart. Honor has more to do with what you do out there than what you do in here. The same thing with what you're doing with your parents. Honor has way more to do with what you do away from your parents. Teenagers, listen. Honoring your parents 
To, go, to, to tell your mom and dad, dad, I love you, I honor you, but to go out and dishonor their name, that's dishonor. It has more to do with what you're doing out there than in here. It has more to do with what you pass on. So, so let me just give you three definitions of honor. Honor, number one, is maintaining godliness through our generations. It, it's, actually, it's actually doing some heart examination and investigating what part of my family heritage do I need to pass on. My dad's prayer discipline, I need to pass that on. But his propensity to think it's hilarious to scare people, I need to stop that. Hey, my, 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 mom's, my mom's heritage of being a gen- my mom is the most generous person I know in this world. Compared to what she makes, she writes bigger checks than anybody I've ever seen to all kinds of things. She is, lives a life of generosity, and I need to pass that on. But there's things in my mom's life that I need to say, no, 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 wait a minute, that was wrong. It, it's, it's, passing, it's choosing to pass on the godliness. And number two, it's choosing to be honest about the ungodliness and choosing to break the cycle. So that we pass on godliness, but we break the cycle of ungodliness to the next generation. That's what it is all about. And it's tied to a promise of land. That we will live a long time in land. This has nothing to do with long life. There's other scriptures that talk about long life. That's fine. This has to do with when you walk into what God's best is for you, the, 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 the key to living a long time in that land is to perpetuate godliness is to continue to honor. It's to continue to honor. It has to do with the time and the land. It has to do with the health of an entire society. Now, here's my question. In order to heal from the wounds of the past and create a life of godliness, how do we get over this? How do we get over the fact that our parents were ungodly? How do we get over the fact that they were destructive? How do we get over the fact and still honor and, and, and move forward something to the next generation? Number one, let me just give you a couple of, of very simple thoughts that hopefully help you. Number one, you need to develop an intense gratefulness for the fact that you're alive. That, that we have to realize before we deal with our parents' issues, we have to, we have to develop an, an incredible gratefulness for the fact that God used them to give you life. That, that in fact, God created you in the spirit and he put all your personality and all your passions and all your gifts and talents and, and, and he breathed the vision into your heart and a dream into your life and he built you in the spirit and he said, you know what? I need two people to come together so I can put some flesh on this. This is a great idea right here. And that idea was you. And so before your parents, no matter what they did wrong, before your parents did anything wrong to you, they were actually used by God to do something very, very right, which was put flesh around his big idea, which was you. And, and before we deal with the whole anger and bitterness and rage about, oh, I was dealt the wrong set of cards in life, before we deal with all that, we have to actually step back and say, you know what, hold on, before we talk about this any further, I need to stop and I need to breathe and I need to be thankful that two people came together and gave me life. Before they did anything wrong, they actually did something right. And that was give you life. Number two, you have to realize that they're only a part of fallen humanity. That, that, that they're a part of a bigger scope of fallen humanity. That you were not special. That, that everybody has dysfunction. You look at Jesus' family line from the book of Matthew. Jesus' genealogy is like Jerry Springer on speed. There was cannibals. There was people who burned children in fire. There was prostitutes. There was drunkards. 
There was all kinds of things going on in Jesus' genealogy. You're not unique. I'm not unique. All God's people got stuff because we grow up in a fallen world. And, and, and the Bible says this way, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And your parents were no different. And sometimes if we just step back from all the pain, because when we, when we don't step back from the pain, we, we start to believe, I was given a wrong deck of cards. I'm the only one that went through this. No, you weren't. No, you weren't. But, but before they did anything wrong to you, they did something right, which was give you life. And whatever happened to you, I'm so sorry. I, I am. And let me tell you what God, God says about that. God says that every tear you cried, he collected it in a bottle. That's how much he cares. That's how much he cares. He cared about every tear that you cried, every bit of pain, every bit of violation. But, but for you right now, you're 35, you're 45, you're 55, and it's held you back your whole life. Today can be a day of salvation for you in the sense that you make a decision that from this day forward, for my family, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We are going forward to perpetuate godliness so that no one else has to deal with this. They were just a part of fallen humanity. Number three. So number one, you need to appreciate the fact that they gave you life. Number two, you have to, you have to realize that, that, they were, that they were just a part of fallen humanity. Number three, you have to give up the control freakness in your life to take vengeance. That all of us think, every one of us at times, thinks that we can do a better job than God. All of us. And one of the things that God says there is no opening for, like there's not a job opening for the, for the earth's vengeance taker. There's not. The Bible clearly says vengeance is mine. That, that actually God is the greatest vengeance taker on earth. In one scripture in Proverbs, it says this, see to it that you don't explode in anger on your enemy, lest the vengeance of God get removed from him. In other words, God, God is duty bound to take vengeance on your behalf, but he will not if you take his job. In other words, if you want to be the one that takes the vengeance, have at it, but God won't. But if you'll just step back, step back, take your hands off of it, and realize that they are accountable to God, not to you. Romans chapter 14, verse 10 says this. Why do you judge your brother? Or why do you despise him? Because he hurt you. Don't you know that every person will stand before the judgment seat of Christ? So see to it this way, to make sure that you are not an offense to somebody. In other words, the only person in this world you're supposed to judge is yourself to make sure that you're not being offensive. Which let me set somebody free, okay? In a room this size, I know there's at least one of you. Let me help you, okay? And let me help the pastors here and for everybody you've ever caused pain on. There is, there is somebody in this room who really believes that it is your job to be the moral police for the whole world. It's your job to sit back and go, that's wrong. That's right. They're wrong about that. They're right about that. Maybe you're even one of those guys who started one of those websites, apostasywatch.com, to, to guard the body of Christ from error. Let me help you with something, okay? It is not your job to be the moral police for the whole world. Your job is to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling to make sure you are not being an offense to anybody else. And anything that anybody else is doing is between them and God. And God can handle it. God can handle it. And when you apply this to your parents, let me tell you this. 
No matter what they did to you, there'll be something inside of you that wants to take vengeance. But I'm going to tell you this. The best thing you could do is leave it in the hands of the most righteous judge in the world. Only God knows what they went through. Only God knows their heart. Only God knows their motivation. And God will take care of it. You need to step back and live your life to the fullest. So number one is to, is to be thankful you're alive. Number two is to realize that they were a part of sinful humanity. Number three is to give up the urge to take vengeance and to judge. Number four is to realize they were wounded too. That whatever they were doing was out of some holes in their soul. And God collected their tears in a bottle too. Listen to me very carefully. Why is it that most of us, we want mercy for ourselves, but justice for everybody else? Don't we do that? Like when we stuff something up, we go to the foot of the cross and we say, God, forgive me. God, forgive me. God, have mercy. God, have mercy. God, have mercy. But someone else screws up and we go, God, get them. We want justice for our, we want mercy for ourselves, but justice for everybody else. But it doesn't work that way. The book of James chapter 2 says it this way. That judgment without mercy will be shown to every person who's not merciful. For mercy triumphs over justice. Choose mercy. Choose mercy. Remember how much you've been forgiven. And do likewise to other people. And also realize this. That they were given the same choice you were. They're given the same choice that you are today. They had a choice. At some point, they had a choice. I will perpetuate godliness or I will perpetuate destruction. And unfortunately, maybe they chose destruction. And if they chose destruction, I'm so sorry. But your choice today is to stand up and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I will not make my children go through that. And I'm telling you, four generations from now, you'll be the hero. You'll be the hero. The last thing in, in terms of how to deal with the, the, the wounds of it is this, is realize how big it is. That our survival as a society depends on it. It, it says that, that your days will be long in the land. That when anger and contempt and malice and slander, as it goes through generations, it multiplies. It multiplies. To the point where you've got people in this world today who are destroying one another and don't know why. They just know they're supposed to. Just because mom and dad did it. That's all they know. And it perpetuates through generations. And as I understand it, God has a five-generation limit. His, his, his grace goes to three and four generations, but by the fifth generation, he'll destroy the whole generation if they don't repent. Why? Because in generations, you're multiplying geometrically. That's how Amway works, okay? That two people have six kids. Those people have six kids, and now you've got 36 kids. 36 kids have six kids, and you've got a bunch of kids. And then those people have six kids, and then those people have six kids, and that's what you're left with. You're left with a bunch of people that if that infection, that disdain, that bitterness, that malice, that resentment, that rage, if it gets into the fifth generation, there's enough people to destroy the entire fabric of a society. And by the grace of God, God says, by my grace, not my judgment, by my grace, I will judge that. Because it's gracious to save a whole society by wiping out one generation. It's gracious. And so our survival as a society depends on it. It depends on you and me making and maintaining a decision to perpetuate godliness in the next generation. It, 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 it's about me and you perpetuating that thing all the way through. All the way through. So I want to ask you one question this morning. An application. Are you breaking the cycle 
or are you perpetuating it? What cycle are you perpetuating and what cycle are you breaking? Every one of us this morning, you say, how do I apply this? Let me tell you how to apply it. Every one of us this morning needs to take a heart notice and we need to say, what parts of my family were godly? And maybe sit down with your wife and talk about what habits did we learn? What habits did we learn from our home life that are healthy that we need to perpetuate? And, and make a commitment to do so. And, and, then maybe, and, then, and then maybe you need to sit down and say, okay, let's be honest. Without any dishonor, without, with all due respect, what parts of our family did we learn that is dysfunctional and it's destructive and it's ungodly? Maybe you need to make a rule. There's no yelling in the house. Maybe you need to make a rule like, I will not address my husband with obscenities. The, the lady that addressed her husband with obscenities, her seven-year-old granddaughter was sitting right there. What are the chances that that seven-year-old granddaughter is going to grow up calling her husband obscene names? Huge. Why? Because her grandmama did it. And her mama does it. It just perpetuates all the way through generations. Maybe it takes some person sitting down and go, we will not tolerate that anymore. We will be a house that is compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiveness. What cycle are you perpetuating? What needs to be broken? That is honor. That is honor. Let me read the scripture to you. Because I want to close this out by talking to you dads for a second. Ephesians 6.1 Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And all the parents said, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long in the earth. But fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. Do not provoke your children to wrath. If you want to get a sense, listen to me. Listen, I'm just, I, please hear me from my heart. If you want to get a sense of whether you're perpetuating ungodliness or perpetuating godliness, you need to understand whether or not you're provoking your children to wrath. You say, how do I know that? If you want to know the answer, I'll tell you. But before I tell you, I'm going to tell you this, that if you're here today and you're a man and you're a dad, what I'm fixing to tell you will require more bravery on your part and more courage than you can possibly imagine. If you want to know whether or not you're perpetuating your children to wrath, ask them. Ask them. Let me tell you something my dad did that I honor him for. It was the best idea I've ever heard of any dad doing. This is unbelievable. But it took more courage. My dad would be one of the most courageous men I know because he did this. Every 30 days, my dad took me on a date. Probably starting at about seven years old. Once I turned 12, I asked him to please quit calling it a date because it was bothering me. <laughs> so we had a man's night. But this was the rule. This was the rule. And I love this. How courageous is this? My dad said, Shane, on those nights, you can tell me anything you want to tell me. As long as you say it respectfully, you will not be in trouble. So it gave me an environment to where I could sit down with him and respectfully say, Dad, two weeks ago you punished me for this and you were wrong. You did not understand what was going on. And he, he could say, Shane, tell me about that. 
And I could say, Dad, you didn't understand this. Or, Dad, you overreacted to this. I felt like you overreacted to this. And, Dad, we'd, we'd talk it out. And there was a lot of times that my dad sat across the table from me and said, Shane, I didn't understand that. Please forgive me for overreacting. And there was times where he looked across and said, Shane, you're a, you're a child. I'm an adult. I know you don't understand now, but one day you'll understand. But whether it was that or whether it was the other, the environment was there so that I could be open and honest with dad. And dad did that so that my anger with him could never go past 30 days. And I'm going to tell you something, that's brave. But that'll shut down provoking your children to wrath. Because only one of two things can happen. Option one is your children will learn they can be honest with you. Option two is, is that they can't be honest with you. And then you've got a whole new set of problems. Parents are supposed to be the pictures of what God would look like to, to, to your child. So let me ask you this. If I was to ask your child, based on how mommy acts, what is God like? What would that child say? Would that child say, oh, God must be an angry, worried mess? Does God's left eye twitch uncontrollably? You know, when we go to the grocery store, mommy gets really mad at the cashier. Mommy says she's the slowest cashier in the store. What would God, what, what, what would, what would, how would your child say that God would act to the girl at KFC when they mess up the order? How, how are you presenting God to your children? Are you breaking a cycle or are you perpetuating something? What are you perpetuating? How does your children see God do they hear you and your husband? Do they hear mommy and daddy talking about, hey, we need to take care of the poor this month. We need to make sure we feed someone who can't feed themselves. We need to make sure we close someone who can't clothe themselves. Or do they simply see you raise your hand in here and then hear you yell at each other at home? And you're teaching them that God's a hypocrite. I challenge you today as people of God to increase your amount of time in God's promised land for you by perpetuating godliness and by honoring your father and your mother. Let's pray together. And Lord, you're the best. We love you and we honor you. And uh, we proclaim that you are king of the universe. With your head bowed and eyes closed, I, I, I have two questions to ask and then I want to have a prayer for you. The first question is this. Is there anyone here today who says, Shane... I need to start perpetuating godliness in my life by choosing to follow Jesus Christ. I've never made that choice to wholeheartedly, with everything in me, follow Jesus Christ. I might have come to church. I, I might have put the fish on my car. I might have the what would Jesus do bumper sticker. I, I might would even have the, the, uh, the, the, the bracelet, the cross around my neck. And I realize that none of that's going to do anything for me in eternity. I, I, I know that it won't. And today, God's knocking at the door of my heart, and I need to make a wholehearted decision to follow Jesus Christ today. If that's you, no one's looking around, I, I, I would, I'd like to pray for you. If that's you, would you just slip your hand in the air? You say, I don't want to leave here today. I see you on the right there. That is fantastic, ma'am. That takes a lot of bravery to put your hand up first. Anybody else want to follow her and say, you know what? I need, I need to make a wholehearted decision this morning to follow Jesus Christ. I realize nothing else I can do is going to help me in eternity. I need to make a decision to rewrite the history of my family, if nothing else. Anybody else says, Shane, please pray for me. I'd, I'd like to accept Jesus Christ today. Last time I'm asking. Then I'd like all of us to pray this prayer out loud with some all blacks gusto. 
But ma'am, you who raised your hand, this is your prayer, your moment, your time. And it's not the words of anything we're going to say that's going to do anything for you. It's the response you made in your heart. And so I want all of us to pray this prayer out loud after me. And ma'am, you just join right in. And it goes like this. My Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for coming. Thank you for dying for me. I confess that I'm a sinner. I have no hope of saving myself. So I ask you, Lord, to forgive me. Cleanse me. Come into my heart. Be the Lord of my life. I want to live for you. In Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things that the Bible says about that is that God is so excited about your decision that he just stopped all of heaven to have a party for you. Welcome to the kingdom of God. It's a fantastic thing. And for the rest of us, I want to challenge you. I bless you today to know that you serve a God who believes in you more than you believe in him. I bless you to know that that the godliness heritage is sitting on you. It's your decision what you do with it. I'm telling you, a, a lot of husbands and wives need to go home today and say, you know what, we need to talk about this. What needs to change in our house? And if you're willing to stand with me and say, right now, I'm going to take a stand. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We're going to investigate the godliness and keep it going. But we're going to say no and repent to the ungodliness. And we will honor our father and mother to perpetuate godliness. Four generations from now, we will be the heroes of this family. If you're willing to say, Shane, I want in on a prayer like that. Would you stand to your feet? Stand to your feet right where you are, and we're going to pray this thing together. We're going to seal this thing in the Spirit. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. Now, Lord, I pray for us now. Lord, we repent for the ungodliness of our past. We repent for racism and prejudice and greed, anything that's held our families back. Lord, we proclaim the blood of Jesus over that and ask for a fresh start. We make a decision today to perpetuate godliness, to honor our father and mother by perpetuating godliness and repenting from ungodliness. Lord, may may this church be a haven of honor. In Jesus' name, amen. When the the priest would bless people, I did this in the first service and didn't explain it. And about 20 people came back there and said, what in the world? I didn't think anybody would notice, but people do, so I will. Um, When the priest would bless people at the end of service, what he would do is this. You might recognize that from Mr. Spock, but um, uh, uh, Leonard Nimoy was a devout Jew. And when he asked, the, when the, the creators of Star Trek said, what do you want the sign of Vulcan to be? He said this. If you trace that out, it looks like the Hebrew... Now, don't walk around Hastings doing this. They'll think you're <laughs> maniacs. The, 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 he inundated the entire culture of, of, of the media with the Hebrew concept of Shin, which means the name. And, and the priest would say, let the name rest on you. Let the name rest on you. I, I, I bless you to, to go today to... To be people who carry the name 